Coast Journey Economy Podcast. Today we have David Zahn. David is a corporate trainer for high-end executives and consultants. And his objective is to make high-performing people even higher-performing. He's the author of several books. In the interview today, he really speaks to what's going on with training and learning and some of the things that are happening there on the forefront of training, learning, and client engagement. Hi, David. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. As we start off talking about the hero's journey, and your, your specialty is really in training, training consultants at, at a high level. What are you seeing out there as far as as people start to maybe transform their lives, they start to embrace training or different skill sets? What are you seeing out there as, as people start to maybe step out of their comfort zones and learn new things? One of the key fundamental changes that has occurred across all industries is the advent of technology being able to bring training to the learner as opposed to the learner having to go to the training. The historical model was that you would schedule a class and people would have to travel from wherever they may be and be co-located in front of some subject matter expert who would take you through, depending on the duration of that training, a half day, full day, or longer. And it was the equivalent of trying to unscrew their skulls so you can pour knowledge down into their heads and then tightly re-screw their, their skulls together in the hopes that they could then do something with that. What we now see is the ability to do training remotely, Mm -hmm. to also recognize that training is a process and not simply an event, so that we can provide people with training and then incrementally reinforce it and build upon it. So that you don't have the common experience that most of us have of we have the trainees together, let's give them everything they possibly could ever need or use in this very compact time frame, which obviously leads to people not being able to implement or execute any of it because they're <laughs> overwhelmed. Common phrase that's used is trying to get a drink out of a fire hose. So much is coming at you that you can't be effective. So I would say technology is one of the key fundamental changes that we have seen in the training industry. I've been a a victim and probably I've been on both sides of that full day training, trying to get all that information. Mm -hmm. I've I've been on both sides of that. And it is, it is interesting because I think there's, if you look at it sometimes, at least in the business world, people feel very like they check that box and they check that Mm -hmm. box. They'll they'll check it hard. Like, Oh, we've done the training and it's done. (laughs) And, and your idea around the pro it's that it's a process and it's just not a, a you know a, a nine to mm-hmm. fourth nine to four thing that's done once is is interesting. The, the whole distance element is pretty interesting mm-hmm. too, right? I, I take a look at it, and so someone who wanted to go to a training of yours, there's obviously mm-hmm. the time bound of getting to where you are to, mm-hmm. to see your training, but it's the access. It's getting that it, it, both people have to be uh, available and in a spot at the same time, and. Yes. And what that does now is it, uh, particularly now with what you see with the growth, growth of Zoom and some of these other mm-hmm. things, there, there's maybe some step, it's maybe not as intimate, but it's a lot more practical. 
Right. And of course, you did mention the expense of pulling people out of their work environment, bringing them into the artificial environment of the training classroom. So they're no longer able to be effective at their job. Nobody is hired to be in training with the possible exception of the trainer. Right, so, right. So uh, the ability to, to weave technology into training is one of the key migratory paths that we're seeing in the industry. Another, frankly, is how to evaluate training. The classic training model is really built on schools yeah. where you participate in some kind of knowledge exchange primarily, and then you are quizzed or tested on the knowledge that you possess. It's a multiple choice. It's a true and false kinds of quiz question. In no way does that really indicate how you will be able to implement and behave once back on the job. So when you put people back into their work environments, we really don't know, no matter what they did in training, are they in fact executing as expected? Mm. So being able to use technology now so that we can have as part of the reinforcement, people being provided with a prompt, a challenge in the sales arena, an objection, and then asking them to either audio or video themselves responding to that challenge. We're able to now score that and also host it to a learning management system where other peers of theirs can also witness that, view it, critique it, and learn from it. So it, it's extending the training experience far beyond the nine to four with a half hour break in the morning, half hour break in the afternoon, and lunch. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been in companies where they actually refer to training as the T word because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it all it all depends sometimes. Do you view people as a expense or an investment? Right. And, and uh, if you if you see it as an expense, then training uh, is seen as a huge cost rather than a huge mm -hmm. rather than a huge investment. But what's really amazing about the technology you great you bring up some great points is peloton bike mm -hmm. um, it, what's interesting about that peloton bike is obviously it's a it's a stationary bike and that's nothing really new to home exercising but the whole idea of having access live access to a trainer that could mm -hmm. be one of the best bike you know facilitate you know one of the best trainers in the world so you're getting up right. at seven in the morning and i guess you could do it live or you could do it uh, not live. And it's a key component, they're saying, of the success of the uh, uh, Peloton bike is the social aspect and what you mm -hmm. had about the LMS. It's how you're rating, how you're scoring, right. how you're improving against other people, which you really wouldn't think would ever be part of a technology enablement system <laughs> like that. But it's actually much more because uh, your, your friends can get on that class, distance mm -hmm. friends, or you can actually develop friends over those. And it, the, it is interesting how the technology, when you, when I think the, and maybe it's a generational thing where I kind of take a look and say, okay, if it's not live, it's not as good. And that, I think that mindset is, uh, I'm showing my age possibly hmm. when I, when I say that, because you're right, you could put a wrapper around this. That's much different than mm -hmm. 
than what what you could do live because at live you're under the gun right it's right. it's lunch it's phone calls it's uh mm-hmm. you know i've even had a company say to me if we're going to do a training we're going to have to do it off-site because uh it's the only way you'll get focus right if you have it in the building if you have it in the building some boss is going to come in and pull three people out halfway through the day and, yes. and you know for, for for a legitimate reason right not not to be not to be totally disruptive or you know in the mm-hmm. oh, hey you guys got to get back to work thing it's you know there's a, a legitimate concern or fire drill that they have to address and they said hey let's make this remote where they can't be pulled into things mm-hmm. or 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 they can easily skip it like you know they have to be there for that day so it's, right. it's well what that really speaks to it, it it conjures up a couple of thoughts in my mind one is that very often senior executives will determine their people need to be trained, but they are not a part of it. Mm. Or at best, they'll stand at the very front of the classroom, they'll say some perfunctory words, and then they leave the, the training. But what message does that send to those that remain in that training room? the senior executive doesn't value this as highly. And if you're pulling people during the training experience, again, it's saying something is more important than this training. Right. And, and so that's going to permeate the environment that that training is taking place in. And you know, Mike, one of the things that on the one hand makes me chuckle, and on the other hand, really grates against my nerves, if you read a lot of corporate websites, They'll say people are our most important asset. And people then nod sagely, oh, yeah, that's great to hear and read and see. Well, to me, that's really backward because an asset is something you own. <laughs> Your yeah. people are an investment. And you need to constantly nurture that and you need to develop that and you need to work with it so that it, it is able to grow in value. It's not an asset that you own and can trade as you see fit. When people say asset. They're also, I think, behind that in parentheses might be cost, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, right? Because right? uh, an investment means you know it's something that you're gonna, you know, when I think of an investment, it's it's yeah, it's I guess it's a cost, but it's really something that's going to grow over time. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an interesting. You know, one of the things I saw from uh, on your technology area is. Khan Academy is started by a person who was teaching, he was a hedge fund manager in Boston and he was teaching his niece uh, or nephew, sorry, I don't know which one it was, but it was uh, uh, either a niece or nephew. And they were in Houston and he was obviously gifted in math and he was setting up these tutorials uh, for him or her on YouTube. And people start, and they were around algebra. I guess pre-calc was the level of these discussions. And he would kind of walk through these lessons and teach. And people started like, they were public. So people started looking at these. Mm-hmm. And it actually grew into this, you know, now Bill and Melinda Gates, this is his full-time job now. And he's dedicated, uh, it's called Khan Academy. And they, they have all these different topics now. It's just not math. And some schools have adopted it as a way of teaching. So you're actually learning. They've, they've incorporated Khan Academy into their lesson plans. Mm-hmm. And, and what's interesting, and it gets back to your point about how the technology changes, is so normally you would go into a class and you would get some kind of lecture or ex- explanation on how to do something. And then you would get assignments right. at, for homework. 
And either you understood that or you didn't, but uh, you know, the class would then move on to the next, so the next day they might, they'd review that and then they'd go on to the next lesson. And what Khan Academy is doing is it's flipping it. It's mm -hmm. using the technology to do the, to do the instruction. So at night, your homework is to watch the lecture and to do some of the problems. And then in school, the teacher focuses on the people or, or just like where, where it wasn't absorbed. So that, you know, so that the one-on-one -on -one has a total, or the, the live session isn't one person talking to many. It's right. pe people raising their hands saying, I didn't get this part, I didn't get that. So then the, the actual live class, is used to ensure that you understand everything that you're before that used to be done in homework and you were alone and if you didn't get it yet mm -hmm. you you fell behind you know because they were moving on the next day so it's interesting how the technology where you think okay this isn't as good as being live that that mindset it could be depending on how you approach it but right. it could be much better than a live right it's more convenient it's mm -hmm. uh, you could shift the time you could uh there's a lot of advantages to this technology that uh, weren't available before. Correct. Now it does come with some detractions in that yeah. when you, it, it requires a much finer hand at developing instruction because when you're face to face with somebody, you can see if they're looking perplexed, if they're distracted. If I put a webinar online, if I put a self-paced, what's called e-learning online. I struggle as the in, instructional designer, the one who's developing the training, to really know, is the person paying attention? Are they getting it? So I have to rely on other means. You do your quizzing, you do your polls, your surveys where you can, but it, it does require deeper understanding of how people learn, how to reinforce training, and how to ensure that people are engaged. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Because the technology is an enabler, but it, it, if it's mm -hmm. not used right, it could be, I have to admit, I've, I've had to, for some class, for some online training, and I think it's a prerequisite for some companies around, let's say I'll pick on one topic that um, I have not enjoyed participating in, in an online environment. And that has been the whole idea of like um, software security mm -hmm. and, and those two. I think it's just dry, right? It's right. very, it's extremely important now about, you know, how you mm -hmm. handle data uh, and, and the data that you're using in a company and how, how, uh, how people with, you know, with ill thoughts can, can kind of mm -hmm. penetrate your company if you're not careful. But I've just found some of those trainings um, to be really like, I just got to get through with this. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, yes. It's, and I think maybe sometimes that's, that's the goal, right? Is to make sure everyone has a base knowledge of this and everyone has to do it maybe from a legal standpoint. Right. Um, and, and those types of things. But yeah, it's right. interesting. And what's probably happening in those instances is that someone has taken a written document and they've just sliced it into slides that appear electronically and they haven't really given thought to what's the learner's experience with this. Are we certain that they have integrated it into their behavioral set? Can they implement? 
And it's more just check the box like you were referencing earlier. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That's the feeling I got. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. here's, the, here's, a, here's a manual and we will put these into slides right. and, and we will read them online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, and then we will have some questions on uh, comprehension afterwards. It, it, yes. it, it's, it's, they're really painful to, and you have to go through mm-hmm. them, but you're right. It's, it's not with mm-hmm. the... It's not with the with the recipients. Uh, right. This could be, you know what? Like, uh, I'll take uh, I'll pull one that's kind of interesting. I've noticed the airlines within mm-hmm. the last couple of years, with the the onboard instructions, fastening your seatbelt, and all those things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed this, but a lot of companies, and I think when they first, you know, started doing this, this would have never been considered. But there's a lot of humor in those now. Yes, and, and it's some of it's subtle, and some some you know I guess Southwest pioneered it, but they they would kind of do their own. They were almost like stand up comics doing it live, but now they have it on a recording, and some of them are really funny, you know. And everyone and you hear everyone on the plane laughing, and you kind of go, okay. So here's something that was pretty dry. I mean, it's a, you know, it's the same thing we've been listening to for 40 years, and it's you know so it's the same instructions. They've said, hey, you know what? Maybe we could do this a little bit differently. And one yeah. does one does this uh, really interesting like live uncut walkthrough. So it's it's a like a 1917 movie where there's no break and it's moving from one scene to another with all these different people and they put some humor in and then there's others where it's just like every instruction does a a funny thing, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's, so there's something to be said for that, that if it's going to be, you know, if, if you are going to be speaking to a lot of people, I'm not saying it all has to be entertaining, but there does have to be some view of the recipient, right. As to how this is going to be received. And you know, Mac, that really plays very nicely into the thrust and theme of what you're doing here in terms of understanding the importance of story versus simply data, Yeah. simply giving information. And by virtue of using the humor, by virtue of creating context to what it is that's being communicated, it becomes far more memorable and far more accessible for the learner, for the person who's listening or viewing that particular message. Right. There's, you know, you're the trainer, but I've read in places where if you could tie some kind of knowledge to an emotion, people people will remember it. So the stories, the emotional elements, uh, what is it? People won't remember what you said or what you did, but they'll remember how they felt when they were talking. Correct. Correct. So if you tie it to an emotion, that's interesting. Yeah. And uh, that's interesting. I also like the idea of this technology. Um, I guess the bike or having access to you is -hmm. is a good example, but the idea that, you know, if you look in history, the whole idea of like the sidekick or the mentors, like the Alexander Graham Mm -hmm. Bell and Watson, like if you listen to that story, they, it was a very happenstance story as how they met or, or Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. And there's all these people that have teamed up over time. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like they, they were almost like ships passing in a night where the odds of them actually combining to actually live, have a lifelong relationship or have this breakthrough discovery seemed very remote. But now with technology, um, and I'm not saying every person's open to this, but the idea that you could possibly be mentored by someone that you would never have had access to, or right. you could take a writing class from somebody. Uh, there's been some advertisements on TV, the master's class, but the whole idea that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you, you can take a, uh, you could take now uh, online 
a photography class from any in Leibowitz, or you can take a writing class from some of the best writers in the world. And I think that's interesting from a technology break. That was not something that I don't think any of Leibowitz would have even, she's a very busy person. And it, it probably wouldn't even make sense for a live class, right? For her to stop and do one of those. One, just based on the, her time of money or her money or her value of her time it would have been an extremely expensive class right and it would Correct. have been for, right it would have been for the wealthy and now it's it because they're able to put that out and she has full content control mm-hmm. and you know that uh, it's going to be the class that she wants to teach to the masses that you're now able to get like uh, real expertise in some, some areas that wasn't available to people in the past and it's affordable. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, the Khan Academy is free. Khan Academy is free. Right. Dude, free. And, you know, MIT has all their course curriculum up on their, or most major universities, including MIT, MIT started it, but almost everyone has their course curriculum notes and videos of the classes. The only thing you don't get is the degree, but it's all free. <laughs> right. You know, right. but, but the access is there. And that, that, that's an incredible thing that someone mm-hmm. from, you know, a, a young person in remote Africa could actually get on the MIT website for free and start reading their content and uh, learning some of those things. It's, it's, that's pretty cool. Yes. So technology and, and the impact of technology, the whole not having to be there, what are, what are the things are you seeing in training that wasn't there maybe when you first started in your career? Well, actually, we, we started briefly to talk about this, and that is that weaving in of context through story. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, know, you and I both have, have worked in market research. Yeah. And how many times have we seen or even been guilty ourselves of packing PowerPoint slides with copy and paste Excel spreadsheets embedded into the PowerPoint with rows and columns of numbers being very analytic, very data sensitive. Well, what happens though is that we as humans, when presented with facts, we immediately challenge them. We want to stress test them. Whereas if we're talking about story, Nobody gets on their haunches. Nobody gets frightened and feel, feels they have to enter into conflict or competition. It, that's, that's really interesting. Yes, you're sitting back and you're taking it in and you have a much more open mind. You have an open yes. mindset, right? Because it's, it's yes. not, yeah, you're not trying to prove a point. You're trying to tell a story. And, mm-hmm. and the, the listener, you're right. They don't have the gloves up. They're just, okay, I want to hear the story. <laughs> I want to yeah. hear, hear how this ends. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. That's really interesting because yeah, you're right. Absolutely. There, there is this, uh, and maybe there's security in PowerPoint, but there is that whole thing about PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I've I've had discussions with some people in my company where it's like the first conversation with a client. Like they've called us and they want to have a conversation, and someone said, "Okay, where's the deck?" And I go, "Could we just talk to them?" Right. <laughs> you know, and right. and, and, and so that people are like, "No, you really should be walking through a structured uh, conversation." And I go, okay, that, that makes sense. He goes, you got to steer the conversation a certain way and PowerPoint's a great vehicle for that. And it's just like, hmm, okay, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's just a conversation and then you send them a deck afterwards. And it, it's interesting, sure. the, the crutches that we've sometimes lean on 
um, that, uh, yeah, because yeah, what, you know, getting up and telling a story, is a little bit different, right? That's a different skill set. It has to be told a certain way. And mm -hmm. I, think, I think people are to your point about before, you know, like the manual that's been created into a train, you know, right. that, that is, uh, it's not only easier, but it's, I think, uh, less threatening to the creator. Uh, Correct. Right. So that's, uh, yes. it, it might not show a lot of thought, but it's, it's safety in process almost rather than doing something like, like getting up right. and getting up and telling a story to make a point is not something, I mean, that, that is an amazing thing to watch. It's, it's also something not everyone feels comfortable doing. It is a very different skill yeah. because it's not formulaic. It's interactive. And you're never certain what the other person may react to. But to me, that's the beauty of it. You're able to uncover what truly is behind someone's actions. What are their motivations? What are their fears? What is it that would provide them with a sense of satisfaction? So yeah. I, I, I have done a lot of work with business executives, helping them to structure story. In the sales arena, there are three key story templates that I'll, I'll work with them on. One is, who am I? And you explain how you came to be in the position you are in. Right. All of the miscues, turns that, that were dead ends, as well as the smart things that you have done, that brings you to the place you are now with all the experience and wisdom. Mm. Second story is, who do I represent, which is the corporate story. This is, you know, a HP starting in the garage. Mm -hmm. This is Nordstrom's will we'll put customer first and take returns back on things we don't even sell. Oh, yeah. It's the mm -hmm. Stu Leonard's customers always write. All those kinds of stories that are part of that tribal knowledge that the yeah. company has. Yeah. It rep you're sharing who I represent, and I'm going to be a partner to you, perhaps, or I'm going to go the extra distance, or whatever it may be that sets this company apart from others. The third story is, who do we help? And that speaks to the, either the industry, the function department, the combination of the two, so that you can relate to your prospect and or customer in that sales sphere. Every salesperson should have those three stories deeply ingrained within their selling approach. And then you turn it onto the prospect or customer and you ask them, how did you get to be where you are? Ask them in essence for their, who am I story? And then you ask, why do you remain with the company that you're currently with? Kind of getting at the, who do you represent? What is it that makes this company special so that I can best align whatever it is that I'm selling, be it product or service or both? Yeah. So get them to talk. And we're not looking at PowerPoints unless you want to prompt yourself with the questions. Fine. But I don't want to start with Excel spreadsheets and, and have people now get combative. Which vendor provided this? What time frame? Who's the competition? Just let's talk business let's talk what motivates the other person oh, that's great yeah because if you take a look at it like just like the who, who am i some mm -hmm. of the some of the like the 
if you take a look at a genre of movies, like the superhero movies out there, mm-hmm. the most interesting thing about those stories that everyone loves is the origin. Like, mm-hmm. how, right? It's all about, okay, this person's a hero, but they weren't always. And like their books, uh, <laughs> they're, they're actually podcasts, the origin stories. It's like, how did this thing come to be? Because right. so many people are fascinated with, uh, okay, you know, there was a time where William Shakespeare had never written a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was some somebody out there was William Shakespeare's English teacher at one time. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, that's that's even hard to fathom, but everyone has an origin. Everyone does. And that who am I? I find that so interesting when people start talking. Not not the you know, there's some people that'll always be talking about themselves, but uh, mm-hmm. it's really intriguing to the person that, you know, everyone's got a very interesting story. Yeah, I like that. Who am I? Who am I part of, right? What was that second one? It was corporate. So who? Who do I, I represent? Yeah. Yes. Who am I, sales yeah. arena. Yeah. And and where and where am I? Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's interesting. And then and then you open it up to say, how about you? Where are you from? Right. Are you, what are you a part of? Yeah. Right. And and, and uh, all of a sudden the connection's a lot different too. Correct. Yeah. And without getting too deep into the weeds, if you look at the development of the human mammal, we all started with what's referred to as the reptilian brain, yeah. better known as the fight or flight or make friends, you know, yeah. The, yeah. the safety first. Then as we evolved, the limbic brain developed. And that is what controls your emotional state. How do I feel about stimulus, whatever that may be? Yeah. It's only much further along in the evolutionary cycle that the neocortex was developed. And that's the thinking aspect of how we engage and interact as humans. Right. So that's really the, it's the most sophisticated or evolved perhaps, but it's the least developed of those three uh, evolutionary brain stages. Yeah, because, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I've read that, uh, you know, we oftentimes, and no one feels like this is happening inside of them, but uh, I've questioned it myself, is we often make decisions that are based on emotion. And then we, to feel or to justify it, we will select facts that back up. And we think we're doing the opposite. Mm -hmm. We think we're analyzing all these facts and coming to kind of a, a really good decision. But that's oftentimes not the order that these things are taking place. And that's a little scary, a little right. bit, because it's kind of like, okay, then what is going on? If that's really, right. I'm like doing this, and maybe it's like a little bit of, uh, you know, blank, and uh, I've got some, uh, you know, to your point on the, the evolution, and then there's some emotion that comes in. And, but to think that we're making decisions sometimes more based on emotion and less on some of those other things really starts to television commercials definitely do that right the the sure. ones out the ones out there aren't the ones that that dribble on about facts you know the joe green throwing his right his jersey i mean that's a very emotional ad that has trends and you know what i'm talking about right i mean that, that's one that's transcended the ages and uh and, and it's all emotion right it's a hobbling old athlete throwing his jersey to someone for saying thanks and it's just you know there's no, there's no facts about Coke in that ad about, you know, you know, the size of the bottle or, or the cost of the, the price right. or anything like that. It's, it's, right. it's an emotion. And it's one, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. if we were to list the top, I, I guess maybe the top commercials out there, 
would either probably fit into that funny bucket of history. You know, if we were looking at all history of commercials, would be funny, but I bet your emotion would be uh, a good makeup of those. Every Super Bowl, we all sit around and watch, in addition to the game, those commercials that tug at your heart or make you laugh. Nobody gets excited over hearing about my product is four cents cheaper or has you know, three, three more uh, rolls in, in a package or any, anything like that. What, what haven't I asked you? What, what are you seeing out there that you go, oh, you know what, uh, is there anything out there that you say, hey, I think this might be happening, uh, you know, uh, or I'm starting to pick up on this, or is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think uh, is, is worth exploring or something you're seeing out there? One of the key hooks that good trainers will implement in, and integrate into their training is being vulnerable and going first. And by that, I mean the traditional trainer, when you conjure up the image of trainer, is this all-knowing subject matter expert yeah. As if they're walking down the mountain with the, with the tablets in their arms, they know it all. Right. And they're going to now <laughs> imbue you, dear learner, with all that they know. Right. And in fact, that, that's very off-putting. And it's much more successful to get people to accept new learning if you admit your foibles and your mistakes and what you have learned from it. So as a trainer, it's really critical to get past some of the reservations about, oh, what if I don't do this correctly that the learner may be experiencing, or this seems really hard. Well, if you share some of the missteps, some of the mistakes that you yourself or you, as the training you've made or you've seen others make, it allows people to relax. Oh, I can recover if I make that mistake. Oh, there's a way around this issue if it should stymie me in my progress. So being able to share the potential objections that someone may have to learning up yeah. front, it allows them to, to be a little more open and access the information in a, in a much more wholehearted way. Yeah, a bit more vulnerable, right? Rather than, yes. the, yeah, you're like Mr. Miyagi in, in the Karate Kid. You know, you're, right. you're, you're telling your story of how you got there and, it, and there's a certain amount of, uh, I don't know everything about what I'm going to teach you, but this is what mm -hmm. I've learned. And, you know, my life hasn't, uh, my, you know, some of the, I've made some mistakes right. and that, you know, that's why I, I'm all alone right now. Yeah, so it's, that's interesting. David, thanks. I really appreciate you being a part. We haven't talked in a long time. This has been uh, this has been really good. I know you've written several books. Where can people find them, and or where can people find you online? Because I'll be honest with you, and I'm not just saying this because you're on, you're one of the best. You know, you take a look at the TED talks and people that speak. You spoke when I first joined a company, and I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. this guy's pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you you definitely uh, you you definitely can grab an audience and engage with them in a very authentic way. You have an of inspiration with the ideation so it's not just you're a great speaker but you're also challenging people to maybe think differently in a way of delivering data so so that said where, where can people find you I, I appreciate the comments Mike thank you very much the books are all available at any of your brick-and-mortar bookstores and or on Amazon Barnes & Noble etc uh, primarily, the books are focused on consulting skills, mm -hmm. 
and training process. So one of the books is How to Succeed as an Independent Consultant, and the other, which is a book directed at the wannabe consultant. Yeah. The other book is The Quintessential Guide to Using Consultants, which speaks to the client's experience. Mm -hmm. What you should be thinking about in terms of selecting a consultant, how to determine what's a fair wage for that consultant, how do you evaluate the consultant, et cetera. Walks you through the whole process of working with consultants. Right. And then I've also, a couple of books are also available that speak to the training process, one being Train to Gain is another book that, that's out there. And I forget the name of the fourth book. It's been a little while since I wrote that one. Yes. So I, I apologize. But no, there's, a, there's another one. And I, my website is Zon Consulting, all as one word, Z-A-H-N consulting.com. You know, when you take a look at that consulting, you know, we talked about the hero's journey and they consultants are almost like corporate mentors or sidekicks, right? They almost mm -hmm. play that. They almost play that role. Depending on what they're doing, they're, they're providing a different perspective, maybe whispering in someone's ear a little bit differently, kind of saying, Hey, uh, and really helping. I mean, consultants are really helpers along that hero's journey that a corporation's taking. So it's, right. Who, who, who would have thought that I'd grow up to be Jiminy Cricket or Kazoo on the Flintstones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, hey, thank you so much for being part of this podcast and wish you and your family uh, well. And, you know, I'd love to do this again sometime. Look forward to it, Mike. And thank you for having me. Thanks, David.